Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative questions of how politics could appear in our preaching this week. My name is Geoffrey Farrer, and I'm a Methodist minister based in Putney in southwest London. Before I was ordained, I spent 10 years working in the House of Commons as a clerk, and so I am committed to connecting how we pray and read our scriptures to how we live, how we vote. Each week, I'm joined by a guest from a different place and space on the pulpit and political landscape. And today, I'm very pleased to introduce Kirsty. Kirsty Ann Mabbott is a church-related community worker in the United Reformed Church based in Coventry. Uh, they are a practical, political and queer theologian. In 2022, Kirsty had emergency spinal surgery and found they were becoming physically less abled, uh, less uh, able-bodied differently abled, and also gained their postgraduate diploma in contextual theology. Kirsty, thank you so much for joining us today. We know that politics in the pulpit can be a bit of a contentious topic, but we also believe that it's essential that the world around us speaks into our churches. When you hear arguments saying that politics should not form part of our preaching, what's your response? I think over the years, my response has evolved, shall we say. Um, I think, did you ask me that question 10 or 15 years ago? I would have just gone, of course, there's a place. Um, and that would have been it. But I think now um, my stance is that without politics in our pulpits, our pulpits become very irrelevant, not only to the world outside of our church, but also to our church members, because our church members live in the world and they're looking to try and understand the world and what is happening with the lens of faith. And so if we completely ignore politics, we're falling out of touch with everybody. Um, and that means that we're not serving them well. We're not serving our churches or our communities in the 21st century. Mm. Yes, I'd agree entirely, Kirsty. And just before we came, uh, started broadcasting, we were talking about where you are in Coventry. And yeah. from your context, and last week we had somebody in, in uh, northwest London. From your context, what would you want to hear us as key justice issues or political uh, events that are happening now? Well, I think the biggest thing to remember is that Coventry is a city of welcome. Um, it's where a lot of refugees, migrants and asylum seekers are dumped. Um, but within the city, they've made it part of their duty to care for those people. Um, but it's also the first city of reconciliation. Um, which is on the back of the cathedral being bombed in 1940. Um, and so that means that as a city, it's a very vibrant place, um, a place that makes space for everybody, a place that welcomes everybody and tries to take care of them, and not just refugees and migrants, but homeless people. Mm -hmm. But it also means that it's a city that when you see sensational headlines in the news, 
about refugees, about asylum seekers, about the, the channel crossings, you can actually turn around and look at real people and you can hear their stories. You can hear the reasons why they fled the places that they were born. And that makes it a far more real situation. But it also takes away some of the sensationalism that the media can often portray. But it's not all good news in Coventry. There are issues, and I'm not going to pretend there aren't. There are huge issues with gangs, especially postcode gangs and postcode wars, which makes it difficult for young people in the city. And the other mm. big issue we have is county line drugs. Mm. And the drugs come from down the county line from Derby, which means there are a lot of young people who are in danger of being sucked in to some really, really dangerous situations. And so that's the good and the bad of the city, but it's not it's not the whole story, clearly. I mean, last year we were city of culture. Um, mm. because we had a lot to offer and and it was felt by the people who decide where it's going to be that that Coventry was the city that needed to be selected. Uh-huh. And it was good to see Coventry getting yeah. positive headlines. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's a young city mm. in, in the sense of the average age in Coventry, the mean age, if you want to put it, is about 32. So, you know, um, and and that comes from statistics, from, from censuses and, and things. And that's partly in because of the universities that we have here. It's partly because of the industries that, that's been here in Coventry. Um, it's partly because of the transient nature of, of the people that live here. Um, but it means that it's a city that is always on the move. Um, but it's still also discovering who it is as a city on its own and not just the little sister of Birmingham. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, with all that in mind and that uh, very interesting perspective, and I think we may come back to some of those issues <laughs> you mentioned, um, let's just mention that uh, my JPIC colleagues always give me a little roundup of their expertise and what they think we might want to keep an eye on in the world this week. And some of the highlights, they, some of the issues they've highlighted include uh, the new government plans for an amendment to the public order bill, which mm. would potentially allow the police to shut down protests even before they've begun, which is proving very contentious. In London, we are thinking very much, and across the country, of course, of the terrible attack on the, the drive-by shooting on a at a church near Euston on Saturday night. Um, and we think of the continued missile attacks on Ukraine um, that most recently have killed at least 35 in a residential building in Dnipro. And uh, we note that we're approaching a year on from that invasion. Uh, within the life of the church, we're coming up, and it's, so it's lovely to be speaking to somebody from the United Reformed Church, uh, today, uh, a week of prayer for Christian unity between the 18th and the 25th of January. And on the 27th of January, we'll be marking Holocaust Memorial Day. So with all that in mind, 
let's open our metaphorical newspapers in one hand and our very real Bibles in the other. And we've got four readings as usual for the lectionary. We've got Isaiah chapter nine, uh, people who walk in darkness. We've got 1 Corinthians chapter one, about um, the divisions within the church. Matthew chapter four, the beginning of Jesus's ministry and Psalm 27. Now, just chatting beforehand, um, uh, Kirsty and I agreed that perhaps we would set aside 1 Corinthians uh, which would be a great reading if you're preaching about church unity, but perhaps sits a little bit outside some of the things we're chatting about. And so where would you like to start this morning, Kirsty? I think, I think we'll start with Isaiah. Um, because... Funnily enough, Isaiah comes in, if you're talking about <laughs> politics, Isaiah always comes at the top, doesn't he? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I think... Um, partly because of the the order that I was given the list of mm. readings to take a look at. It was at the top, so I thought, mm. I'll just work through them logically. Um, I think the biggest thing about Isaiah, you know, if you're looking at good news, bad news, um, and what it's trying to say, um, the bad news in Isaiah was, was remembering, remembering... The, the history, remembering that the land has been previously brought into contempt, um, remembering, you know, um, I'm not a huge Isaiah academic. I'm not going to pretend to be, but I know enough of Isaiah to know that, you know, we're talking about um, a time around when the uh, Israelites were coming back from exile. Um and so there's a lot of historical memory there, um, and and that's the bad that's the bad news of it all. Um, mm. But I think the good news is quite obvious in the, in this reading. You know, the, there's no gloom and anguish anymore. Um, people were in darkness, but now they're in light, and they've seen a great light, and there's increased joy. And but the crucial bit is that at the very end that the yoke of burden has been broken, um, that God is lifting oppression from people, that people are no longer under that, that oppressive regime. They're no longer just things, but they're people again. And mm. I think, you know, we, we talk all the time, you know, about um, where the Old Testament uh, influences the New Testament. Um, and we see it a lot, you know, people draw down from Isaiah or wherever. Um, we see it in, in all of the Gospels. Um, but the bits that we're constantly seeing are the bits that are Isaiah talking about oppression being broken, that people are being freed, that that captives are released, that um that the things that are holding us down, which, you know, is people with and without faith, um, are no longer in that position. Um yes. I mean, it's it's we um, at Barnes Methodist a few years ago, we did Isaiah. We, we attempted to do the entirety of Isaiah in Lent, which was a fool errand. We soon <laughs> but what struck me is those bits we don't have in the lectionary and how, what you yeah. know, what, what incredibly powerful mm. and words and prophecy there is in Isaiah. And yeah. really, 
really, you know, really hard on the rulers of his day and spares absolutely no, there's no sort of, no holding back. He says it as it is and the rich and the powerful but, get it. But he also admits, you know, he also admits very freely and, and you know, it was it was very obvious in, in last week's readings that mm. as... As the prophet, he also knows that he is loathed and detested by the rulers. And although mm. his his position is to call people out and to call mm. the rulers out and to prophesy how things are supposed to be, he knows that that rulers hate him. He knows mm. that that the leaders are not his biggest fan, and and he despairs about that at times. He really does. But in the same way, God is giving Isaiah these words to the people about oppression being lifted. He's also doing that to Isaiah in mm. the way that Isaiah, you know, he, he, he sits there at various points throughout his writings and goes, this isn't working and I can't do this and, and I keep failing and it's, it's just not fair. Mm. Um, at which point goes, it's okay, and here's a bigger job for you. <laughs> um, which, you know, is great in some respects, but I'm pretty sure if I was Isaiah, I'd be going, that kind of wasn't what I was working <laughs> at, God. I was looking for a get-out clause. But that's the thing, God doesn't give us a get-out clause. God yeah. doesn't give any of us a get-out clause. But God does keep calling us to do that job, to lift the oppression from the people, to break yeah. the yokes. And it's, we, we mentioned, we spoke before the, the, the broadcast about the people who walk in darkness and yeah. how that image of the darkness and the light so yeah. powerful. And yeah. really, I mean, so Isaiah speaking very much to his own time as a prophet, yeah. but also we find... To ours. The 2000, you know, ever since we people have found it speaking to their own time, and you've mentioned already in Coventry, you said, but I mean, who 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 are the people you think, you know, if we, we were preaching on this, who might you wish to say people who are walking in darkness and who need to see a bit of light? To be honest, I think it can be some of our own church members, um, because being a Christian doesn't doesn't free you from from struggling whether it be emotionally and mentally or physically it doesn't stop you from worrying about what we're reading in the news i mean if, if you sat and just flicked through the newspapers or through the news app on your mobile mm -hmm. phone um which is how most of us access news these days um you could very very quickly become downhearted and and thinking well it's, it's all just over isn't it you know we're just gonna destroy ourselves or blow ourselves into a nuclear oblivion but mm. there is something about our faith that tells us that god does not abandon us but also doesn't let us off the hook and expects us to do something so it is for the people that we meet but it's also for the people in the communities we serve not necessarily through preaching of words but through our actions through you know setting up warm spaces you know here in coventry um hope the network um 
actually operate as Hope Coventry um, and kind of do a little bit of a churches together thing. They they enable us to work together. Um, and they've been coordinating, um, ensuring that all the churches that were offering warm spaces were signing up to the warm spaces network. Um, those warm spaces have made a difference to people. Mm. Maybe not in the numbers that people expect, and last week, I sat at the warm space with a church member and went, I don't know whether we should just pack up and go home. And it was only about half past one, two o'clock. And the church member went, no, we said we'd be here till five. And I went, but nobody's coming. And she said, but when people do come, we need to be here. Mm -hmm. And it was a reminder to me. Because even even as people set aside for ministry, we need to be reminded sometimes that, you know, we also can fall into despair. Mm -hmm. And that church member reminded me that we might not be getting hundreds of people coming through the doors, but the ones that do come in on the days they come in value it so much. In the same way that the Salvation Army temporary housing up the road from the church, you know, have been sending some of their folk down on their first day um, before the key worker can meet with them so that they can get some food. We don't run a big food bank or anything. We just keep a box with some bits and pieces in. Um, and again, those guys haven't come asking for money or or things like that they are simply looking for a bag of food until they can get a food voucher and sorted with their benefits yeah. for them it's made a massive difference so a little a little bit of light in a lot of yeah, darkness in a lot of darkness yeah. now, now a huge difference yeah we're gonna have to make i'm gonna get to, i got told off last week for not getting through the lectionary reading <laughs> so we must make progress so okay. i'm sure we'll keep coming back to all those things yeah so anything, I mean, Psalm 27, um, yeah. that continues that theme. Is there anything that you wanted to just highlight there? Um, I think the big thing that jumped out at me in terms of good news was because of God, there's no need to fear because God will shelter us and protect us from our enemies. And it might not always feel that way, but there's a difference between being sheltered and being tested. And that might seem like quite a, a lofty or quite a, yeah. a, um, a particular way of reading scripture. But I think there are times when we can all say that we have been tested by God. Mm. But there are times when we've also been sheltered from by God. Um, and, and we may not see it in the moment. But we turn and we look back because hindsight's an incredible thing. And we can spot those times. We can spot those times where we go, God was testing me there. Um, or God really sheltered me. Um, and from my own background, you know, um, yeah, I had spinal surgery in the summer. And I've got to have more surgery. And the surgeon was honest when I woke up and said, eventually you'll be in a wheelchair full time. The reality is I can still walk at the moment. I have to have help with a walker and things. Mm. And I 
can't go far without needing to stop. Mm. But one thing that a lot of people have said is how amazed they are at how I coped. Mm. And actually, it's not because I've coped, because there are bad days and good days. Um, but it's because I actually feel held by God in all of it. And when they said to me, I've got to have the surgery, which was emergency surgery, um, most people kind of go, oh, I wasn't expecting this and panic and think. And actually, I just felt calm because I knew God was there. And that's that time of being sheltered by God. And I think that's what we take from it, that that God answers cries for help and answers our calls, but not always in the way we expect. And it's incredible that you're able to share that experience with us today. So thank you, Kirsty. Um, very, you know, we I'm sure we can't imagine what that must the summer must have been like for you. Um, Wasn't the summer I'd planned? No, no, <laughs> I've got lots of plans for the for the church project, but um, uh, but the, the church managed a lot of them without me, which uh, is also good. Um, and that you know, highlighting that verse in you know, so Psalm 27, verse five, where He will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble, and we could think about what shelter means for so many different people yeah. in our community, in our world today, and that physical need for shelter yeah. and the problem, you know, so much we could go into there. Oh, definitely. Let's just think about that last reading, uh, yeah. the gospel reading. So Matthew 4, uh, verses 12 uh, to 23. And I'm ashamed to say it's one of those things where I picked it up and I thought, I can't remember preaching about this ever <laughs> because I'm sure I've, I've preached a lot about it from Mark at the beginning yeah. of his ministry and certainly from Luke in the synagogue. But yes, um, an interesting that link, very clear link with the prophecy in Isaiah. Anything you'd like to... Jeffrey, yeah. I, I read it and went, I don't think I've ever preached on this. What's that happened? <laughs> <laughs> Mutual <laughs> confession time. <laughs> So is there anything that struck you particularly from that? Um, I think the big thing that struck me was we see it, you know, we, we talk all the time about, you know, Jesus encounters Peter and Andrew and James and John and he says, follow me, and they follow. But when you read it in Matthew, mm -hmm. you suddenly realise they gave up everything to mm -hmm. answer the call. You know, they, they got up from the work they were doing, from their families, from their livelihoods, from the livelihoods their families depended on. And they kind of just jacked it in and, and went, yeah, right, then we'll come with you. Um, That was bold. Mm. And it was very trusting. Um, and, and then they followed Jesus around Galilee as he preached and healed. Mm. And we're not told what they think, but they must have thought, wow, we've we've clearly made the right decision. But there'll also be times they're going, why are we doing this again? Yeah, yeah. Mm. And yet they kept on keeping on. Um, but the big thing there was... That healing and that spreading of good news, mm. the curing of all those ills and diseases meant that those people who had been pushed out of their communities and their families 
and been othered and isolated were brought back in. Now, if that's not light in the darkness, you mm. know, I mean, we see it when we're talking about Jesus healing others like the 10 lepers. We we mm. we clearly see, you know, um, they're told to go to the temple so they can be declared clean so that they can go back into community. But actually, every time Jesus did that, every time he healed somebody, he brought them back into community. He brought back unity within that that's that setting he mm. brought people back to their families and their lives and he made them whole again not just physically mm. whole but he made the community whole and that's got to be a story of light you know i mean people whose mothers sisters fathers brothers grandparents had basically been ostracized Mm-hmm. Not allowed to eat with them, not allowed to make money, not allowed to, you know, go to temple. Suddenly they're they're in the middle of community again. They're brought back from the edges. And it's that link of healing and wholeness. So yeah. it's not just a sort of magic cure, it's about making things whole yeah. again. Exactly. And uh, you know, it's interesting about that reflection one of the big political issues at the minute is of course about our health service and i i had that this morning but my son had to we had to get to see the gp this morning and that was a real yeah. trial and a test but what we're seeing is that there is a link between literally health and the health of our society yeah and those people who are not able to participate in the world of work because they haven't been supported and received the health care Therefore, they drop out of society. They feel excluded, leading to all sorts. Um, um, and, you know, I, I look at it, you know, I um, I recognise the privilege that I have in being in formal ministry um, in the sense of my stipend wasn't... wasn't um, wasn't taken away while I spent months recovering and not being able to work um my home wasn't at risk um, Mm -hmm. while I was recovering and that puts me in a very blessed place Mm -hmm. but I've also been in the position of being homeless twice in my life so I know Mm -hmm. how blessed I have been and I know that others in that situation especially this summer will have been even more concerned about the rising costs than I was, yes. um, you know, because we we hold our hands up and we say, you know, a stipend enables us to to do ministry and not have to work. But we also hold our hands up and say, you know, a stipend doesn't make us rich. Um, so, yes, we have all been worrying about the cost of living but there are people who have suffered so much more through it than than i have um and there are people like our politicians who who haven't suffered at all and and are really unfortunately very out of touch with what it actually feels like to be in that position um and i think i think you know and that's something perhaps that Isaiah would have had very strong views on. 
Now, can exactly. I ask just one last question, I think, to sort of, as we prepare to wrap this up, we've yeah. talked a lot about light and darkness and there and, and Jesus uh, speak you know, directly fulfilling the prophecy there in Matthew. Mm. Um, and this is something we touched on last week with our guest. Mm. And I, and I uh, gave that old adage about the preacher's job being to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Definitely. <laughs> to what extent do you think we should be, because we talk, you talked a little about um, looking at news on your phone and there's that new adject, uh, new verb, doom scrolling. Yeah. Um, people getting very, very, studies showing people getting really overwhelmed by the amount of news. Yeah. To what extent is it our job as preachers, do you think, to show people the extent of the darkness? So to say, to open people's eyes to the suffering, to the climate crisis, to those things, say this is, you know, these are really, it is dark out there, folks. Mm. And to what extent is it our job to say, to focus on the light and to bring the light? Do you, do you think there's a sort of, is there a, a balance to be struck there? I think there is. And I think the balance is making it human. Um, you know, we, we, in the news, a lot of what we're seeing is very lofty ideas. We're seeing um, energy companies making record profits and giving their their boards huge bonuses, um, and yet the cost of gas and electric skyrocketing. Mm -hmm. But actually, let's make the issue human. Rather than just focusing on the doom of the news, let's tell the story of a person mm. in the same way, you know, when we deal with um, issues around refugees and migrants and and my family are not people of faith um but since i started training for ministry um my mother has been on quite a long journey um and politically her views have changed quite a lot but that changing has not been because i've kept hammering home that that the, the conservative government don't care about us or that so-and-so is a bad politician or that's corrupt it's by telling stories of real people to her making refugees and migrants not that oh they got six thousand pound tv and a huge mansion house and it's telling the stories of the people i encounter in an anonymous way mm. telling her about the homeless folk that we worked with at the night shelter and and you know the struggles they've had it's putting a face on an issue that's what we need to do but we need to do that for positive stories as well mm -hmm. we need to there are places you can go there's there's a whole bunch of of new newspapers that that celebrate only good news stories you know mm. um, huff post have one that's just specifically i think it's huff post good news and and there's a whole bunch of other ones um where um you know there's the happy newspaper and, and positive news and if you type that into google you'll get positive news stories but the difference is those positive news stories are about individuals and that's what we need to be doing, both the good and the bad. We need to be putting a face and a, 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 a real story, not just a whole generalised issue onto the situation. And I think that's 
how we make it different. Um, well, I think that's a great place to finish, Kirsty, on the power of story and the stories, stories of hope, stories of light. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Kirsty, for coming on and sharing your wisdom and reflection with us with us today. Yeah. And thank you especially for thank sharing for very me. painful, you know, painful stories of your own life there. And thank you to the rest of us for joining us um, and to thinking about whether we should be preaching politics in the pulpit this week. If you enjoyed this episode of Politics in the Pulpit, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share this episode with your friends. We also have online spaces for further engagement and discussion about faith and politics on Twitter at pulpit underscore politics or using the hashtag politics in the pulpit. We also have a Facebook group which you can access through the Joint Public Issues Team's Facebook page and the website jpit.uk. That's jpit.uk. And the question perhaps to leave you with this week is how can we be light in the darkness as Christians, as preachers? And let's go into both our politics and our pulpits with a blessing. May you be anointed with God's spirit as you bring God good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, help people to see the world truthfully and let the oppressed go free. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kirsty. Goodbye and see you next week. Bye-bye. God bless.